Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Meditate the Word. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Those of you that missed the service yesterday afternoon, or if you've missed Marshall's two services, all of the services have been recorded, and they're on tape. Also, every prophecy delivered here is on tape, a special word of knowledge, word of wisdom given to any person. All of these things are on tape, and uh, they're free. Marshall has tapes up here that are $3 for a tape, but all of the tapes of the services are free. There's no charge to those, and we'd like for you to take advantage of that. Out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul was given an admonition to Timothy right here, and this was he was a young minister, and Timothy had been left in charge of the church at Ephesus. Paul had ministered in Ephesus for three and one-half years. And, you know, there's a lot of things you could learn from this. This is kind of just a sideline, but yet it's really beneficial. A lot of people aren't aware of this. But Paul ministered in Ephesus for three and one-half years. As far as we can tell from the Word, the, the most powerful man of God recorded, you know, during Scripture days. I mean, he was strong. Amen. Ministered in a place for three and a half years, and at the end of three and a half years, the unbelievers had a right and shouted out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians for three hours so that they afraid that Paul was going to get killed and the believers forced him against his will and ran him out of the city. That's the way he left Ephesus after three and a half years ministry establishing a church. Isn't that something? A lot of people think, Boy, you know, if Paul had been here, he'd have had a great church and all this. Well, he had a church, but did you know he got run out of town on a rail after three and a half years of ministry to those people? Isn't that something? And so he left Timothy and ordained Timothy the first bishop to the church at Ephesus. And Timothy was in this situation trying to build those people up, get them established in the Word of God. Anyway, that's what all of First and Second Timothy is about. But in verse 12, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine." Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. In verse 15, he gave Timothy a key. Now, this is not the only thing, but one of the things he said right here, he says, Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. In other words, he, you could rephrase it this way. If you give yourself wholly to these things, and if you meditate upon these things, your profiting will appear to all. In other words, he's telling him how to make the things that have become realities on the inside of him manifest themselves and become effectual so that his profiting will appear to all. Now, I believe that all of us can relate to that because there's times that we've been touched by the Lord, but sometimes it's hard to translate those things or transmit them to other people. And one way that we do it right here is meditate upon these things, give ourselves wholly to them. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because last night, yesterday afternoon, we started talking about that the main purpose of prayer is a relationship and fellowship with God. And if you get that, it's just like the Scripture says in Matthew 6, that if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all of these other things will be added unto us. 
If you can start establishing a love relationship and just sitting in the presence of the Lord and communing with Him, just like Susan was saying, boy, once the Lord starts showing you His love and once it becomes, once the person of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes real to you, brothers and sisters, you aren't going to have trouble with faith. You aren't going to have trouble believing God and receiving things. You aren't going to have trouble with fears. You know, fear is just a lack of faith in the Lord. Amen. A lot of people don't look at it that way, but I promise you, a person that's operating in fear, it's because they don't have faith in the promises of the Lord. The Lord said He'd never leave you nor forsake you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, if you had a revelation knowledge of that, and if you knew it with all of your heart, I guarantee you the devil himself couldn't bother you. Amen. Oh, Smith Wigglesworth. Many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth. This guy, he fought devil tooth and toenail, saw a lot of people raised from the dead, a lot of miraculous things happening anyway in one of his books. He was talking about that as he was going to bed one night. He was just about, he had candles back then. He was just about to blow the candle out and go to bed, and he saw something at the foot of his bed. And so he got his candle and held it up and looked, and it was the devil standing at the bottom of his bed. And he just looked at him, and then he said, oh, it's just you. And he blew the candle out and went to bed. Now, some people wonder, I wonder how he could do that. Because he knew his rights and privileges. He knew no plague could come nigh his dwelling. Who cares if the devil himself standing at the foot of your bed? Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, when you have a relationship and when you know who you are, when you know that God's on your side, you won't have any fear. Fear comes because you have a lack of love. And that's the reason the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that perfect love casts out fear. If you would receive the perfect love, if the relationship would be established with God the way that it should. Love drives out fear. Love and fear are opposites. A person who fears is not made perfect in love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says that. And so you see, as you get in a relationship established, you'd find out that fear is gone. And that's all that doubt and unbelief is, is fear anyway, right? If you have unbelief about, am I going to get healed this time? Is it going to work? You can call it what you want to, but basically you've got fear that the promises of God may not work for you. Amen? And it can, all be a st- it can all be laid to rest and completely done away with if you just knew the relationship that you had with the Lord, if we were established in it. The sad thing is most of us are more established in the knowledge about the world and about Satan than we are in the knowledge about God, who God is. How do you get that way? Through meditation. This is what I'm wanting to talk about. How do you get a fellowship that is established with the Lord? There's a lot of ways, and I'm not going to say that meditation is the only way, but I'm saying that meditating the Word of God is probably one of the most important things God ever gave us, and most of us have missed it and not understood the significance of it. And also, I'll say this, that meditation is something that you do all the time. A lot of you may think, well, I never meditated much. I never thought about it. Well, you meditate on something. You're either meditating on the things of God or the things of the devil continually. You are meditating. It's... When we talk about meditation, a lot of people think that, you know, it's Eastern religion or something like that. It doesn't mean that you've got to be in a yoga stance, and it doesn't mean you've got to be sitting here opening your mind up to all this demonic stuff. I'm not talking about Eastern cultism, meditation, that kind of stuff. Meditating is just simply like if you looked it up in a dictionary, it means to ponder or to muse, to go over and over. Like this scripture right here, he said, give, he said meditate upon these things, and then it was a semicolon, give thyself wholly to them. And what he's doing, he's establishing what meditation is. Meditating is just simply giving yourself totally to something to where you are completely dominated with thinking about that 24 hours a day where the, you are meditating, thinking, pondering these things, considering 
explain it. Going over and over and over in your mind, in your heart continually about these things. That's meditation. Now, we are continually thinking. Are there any of you that there's sometimes you just don't ever think at all? Some of you may act like that, but that's not so. It's impossible for your mind not to be thinking about something. Right now, just try and tell your mind, say, go completely blank. Don't think about anything. You can't do it. <laughs> Thanks, no. <laughs> you just can't go completely blank. You're going to be thinking and meditating about something. Amen? It is. You, you are just made that way. You're going to be thinking about something. We're kind of like a sponge or like a vacuum. That whatever's around us is what we're going to be meditating upon. The things that we feel ourselves are the things that we think upon. If you fill yourself with the knowledge of God, then that's what you're going to be meditating upon. But the problem has been, see, that we've been taking in all of this carnal knowledge, the knowledge of the world, and we think and meditate on this so much. And that's one reason that the things of the Lord have not become a reality because as we meditate in the Word is when the things of God really get down deep in your heart and become a part of you. Now let me go over here. Let's look first of all in Psalms chapter 5. And in Psalms chapter 5, the Scripture says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. These first two verses are talking about prayer. Give ear to, the wor to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. And he's talking, for unto thee will I pray. He's talking about prayer right here. And one point that I want to make about meditation is that meditation is prayer. Meditation is a valid form of prayer. And a lot of people, you see, haven't been aware of this. I, something that has been real detrimental is that we've slipped into certain attitudes about prayer to where we think that to pray you have to be on your knees in a certain position or you have to be completely walled off and separated from people. Now, there are times that that is certainly beneficial. You need to discipline yourself and have a time where you are completely separated unto God. That's beneficial. But again, we've been lopsided, I believe, in some areas. And because we haven't understood that meditation is also a form of prayer, I was talking to a man just this last week who was beat down because he was only able to spend 30 minutes a day separated, locked in a room where he was just completely on his knees before the Lord praying. And the devil was beating him over the head and saying, you know, you just aren't spending much time with the Lord. Well, now, we need to all seek to increase our time specifically separated unto the Lord. But you see, he was just he was thinking that the rest of the day was a total loss not realizing that he could meditate on the things of the Lord, that that's prayer. That's communion with God. And brothers and sisters, you can do that wherever you are. I don't care if the Bible says if I make my bed in hell, there the Lord is with me. And we need to learn to depend on that because, you know, the Lord doesn't want you to be in a position where you're on your knees 24 hours a day. Who are you going to be a blessing to if you're locked up in a room praying all the time? Now, some people, that may sound strange to you, but God doesn't want you to be on your knees praying all the time. He wants you to be in a constant state of communion and fellowship with Him, and so you're going to have to couple together with separating yourself and travail, intercession, and other forms of prayer. You're going to have to couple with it meditation if you're going to continually stay in this attitude and continually commune with the Lord because you can meditate wherever you are, amen. You can keep your mind stayed upon the things of the Lord. And a lot of people think, but a preacher, you know, you're different. You're separated and walled off in a monastery, and you don't ever get around any doubt and unbelief. So it's easy for you to keep your mind stayed on the Lord. Well, I guarantee I'll trade places with any of you for a week. <laughs>
Amen? And you'd find out that it's not that way. If anything, I'd say that ministers have as many or probably more problems come against them than, than you do. Because for one thing, everybody thinks it's their business to tell you how rotten you are, and if they see a chink in your armor to let you have it, you're on the firing line continually. Plus, that's not counting just the regular warfare that Satan has against you, the financial pressures, the worries about this and that and all these kind of things. I guarantee you Satan's got plenty of inroads against the preacher. It doesn't mean that we are void of Satan trying to dominate our thinking just because you're a preacher. I can promise you that. I can show you a bunch of preachers that are messed up, amen, and aren't prospering in that area. So that's not true. And brothers and sisters, in your job, I don't care where you are, you can focus your attention so much on the Lord that your heart and your mind is stayed on the Lord 100% of the time. Now, most people have never acknowledged that this is true. Most people think that a certain amount of our time and our thinking just has to be carnal. A lot of people say, well, you can't live victorious all the time. You can't keep your mind stayed on the Lord all the time. But the Scripture says out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, you need to get this Scripture if you don't know it. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought under the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that scripture says that we have been given such a supernatural power that, brothers and sisters, every thought, every thought... Every thought means every thought. That means that there are no thoughts that are contrary. Every thought can be brought into the captivity and under the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of things involved in this, but again, the reason I bring that out is because as we meditate on the things of the Lord, as we keep our minds stayed on the things that the Lord has spoken to us, as we continually stay in communion and fellowship with God throughout the day, this is one of the strongest weapons that we have for bringing our thoughts into submission. You know, I was saying a while ago that your mind has to be thinking. Well, there's another side to that, and that is that your mind can't think effectively on two things at one time. Do you know it? Some of you can't clap your hands and dance at the same time. I was watching you when we were sitting here, you know. I've seen people do that. Oh, Dick Jones, I've watched him do that. Amen. But, you know, you can't effectively do two things at one time. You cannot keep your mind stayed on the Lord and at the same time think doubt, unbelief, discouragement, fear, depression. It's impossible. They're opposites. The Bible puts it this way out of Galatians chapter 5. It says the carnal mind is enmity. Excuse me, that's Romans chapter 8. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Galatians chapter 5 says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You cannot do the things that you would. Now, we've heard this presented in a negative way, a truth, but on the negative side. And that is that if you're living carnal, you cannot live and receive spiritual things. And that's the truth, that if you're living carnal, it's not that God won't give it to you. God's freely already given us all things, but you aren't in a position to receive. You're plugged into the world and not into God. Amen? Just like you could take a plug... And it may have all of the possibilities of receiving a current. It may be, you know, UL listed and everything may be perfect about it. But I guarantee if you go plug it into the drain on the sink, you aren't going to get electricity. That's not where the electricity comes out. Amen. Not that anything's wrong with you. Not that the electricity, uh, that the power company cut off your electricity or any of those kind of things. It's just a simple fact. You aren't plugged into the right thing. If you want current, go plug it into the wall where the socket is and you'll get what you're supposed to get out of it. 
God has already commanded blessings upon us, but you do have to be in the right place at the right time to be able to receive it. And if you're living carnally, then you are taking yourself out of position to be able to receive from God. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You live a carnal life, you cannot live victoriously. That's the negative side, but let's turn it around on the positive side. If one side of the coin is true, well, then the other side's true. And if you flip it over, you can say it this way. If you live in the Spirit, then you cannot have the flesh dominate you. Amen? Isn't that true? The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And again, see, most of us have had the emphasis put on the carnal mindedness. If you're carnal minded, you can't receive from God. That's true. But on the other hand, if you're spiritually minded, you can't receive from the devil. Amen. You've got to quit being spiritually minded and you've got to get out of these things. You can't be dominated with two things at one time. And brothers and sisters, if we would get so single-minded on the Word of God that that's all we ate and slept and dreamed and meditated and talked and walked and thought, if that's all that dominated us, if we meditated in this law day and night, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have 99% of the opportunities for failure that you've got right now. Amen? Romans 10:17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. There is a principle here that until you know the Word of God, you cannot receive the faith and the benefit of the Word of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, All things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. No knowledge of God, no glory and virtue. Amen. How many of you ever received healing and operated in healing and saw people raised from the dead before you believed God could do those kind of things? So you didn't do it. Most of us were sitting right there in our denomination, just like me. I saw my dad die when I was 12 years old, prayed and believed that God could heal him, but he wasn't healed. Why? Because I believe God could, but you know, that's not faith. I didn't know how God was going to do it. I didn't know the first thing about believing God would reward me for diligently seeking. Because I was ignorant, my dad died. And other people that I prayed for died because of my ignorance. Not because God willed it, but because of my ignorance. Until I learned the truth, we couldn't start receiving faith operate. That's a truth. But did you know it's true on the other extreme also that in the same way as God ministers faith to you through knowledge of Him, doubt and unbelief comes through the knowledge of the devil and the ways of the devil. And if you were ignorant concerning the ways of the devil, guess what? You would not be susceptible to the attacks of the devil. Satan cannot just run over you. He has had to put down a well-planned scheme and be able to teach us and, and educate us how to submit to him before he could do the things to us that he's done. We have been carefully taught how to believe for sickness. Can you imagine Adam and Eve sitting there saying, well, it's flu season? We can't imagine that. They didn't know about flu season. Can you imagine Adam and Eve saying at 60 years, well, I guess we've got to retire. We're getting old. 30 years old, we're over the hill. We're going downhill now for sure. They see their first grandchild. Oh, boy, we, you know, our days are numbered. No, they didn't do those kind of things. For one thing, they didn't even, you know, people in those days didn't even get married and start a family until they was three, four hundred years old. 
They lived to be 961 years old, or 931, I think it is. Adam lived to be 931 years old. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. And I'm convinced that one of the big reasons for that was they didn't know how to submit to sickness, to disease, to problems. They didn't have the knowledge of sin functional in the earth the way that it is today. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, you can search this out on your own. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining this. But today we've got more medical knowledge about cancer, about these kind of things, than we've ever had before. You'd think that we would have better results. And we're seeing a few people touched through medical knowledge, but did you know there is more cancer today than there has ever been? I mean, used to, if you were to go back 50 years, from what I can tell, cancer was just an unknown thing on or Very few people knew about it. Of course, they didn't know what to call it, but I mean, even the same thing wasn't happening near the way that it is now. And there's probably a lot of things involved in that, but one of the things is the knowledge of cancer. And they come on television, have you got your test yet? If you love them, tell them to get this test. And we all now are so knowledgeable about cancer, and because we know so much about it, therefore Satan is able to bring fear of it. Amen? How many of you have fear of the botch? Probably nobody, because most of you don't know what the botch is. But did you know that's a sickness listed over in Deuteronomy chapter 28? Why aren't you fearful of it? Well, you hadn't seen it. You hadn't. How many people have you heard talk about, have you got your botch test yet? Amen. Have you been tested for the botch? And therefore, you don't have fear concerning, and guess what? That isn't as near big a problem. But you take somebody, and if they start talking about something, you're going to start finding Satan using the knowledge of that to bring fear upon people. You can have one plane crash, I mean one disaster, like for instance, uh, I don't know how long ago, a year or two years ago, they had this uh, thing in Chicago or someplace where an uh, engine fell off of a plane and a, a whole bunch of people were killed. Did you know that before that time people were riding on planes? They weren't that fearful about it. It wasn't bothering them that much. But immediately, I heard on the news, people were canceling their tickets. They were not riding on DC-10s anymore. And did you know that there had not been significantly, I even heard this on a news broadcast, they went back, and until that time, there had not been any significant amount of DC-10s crashing any more than any other aircraft. But immediately following that aircraft accident, immediately they started having problems with DC-10, making the headlines more than was normal. Why? Because you had 200 million people in a country expressing fear and talking doubt and unbelief about DC-10s, and that's why it happened. Now, a lot of people may find that hard to relate to and think, oh, can your talking really affect the DC-10? It sure can. Death and life are in the power of the tongues. And brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is, as knowledge of doubt and unbelief abounds, you'll find out that Satan's work abounds. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 16. It says, I'd have you to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. If we were ignorant about the ways of the devil, we would not have Satan dominating us near like what he does. And if we were wise concerning the things of God, we would have God dominating us. The knowledge of the Lord gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I've used this example before. I have people come to me and say, how do you hear the voice of the Lord? How does the Lord speak to you and tell you about this and tell you about what's in this person and what they need to hear and on and on and on? And there's a lot of people that, you know, really have trouble hearing the voice of the Lord. They say, how do you know when God's speaking to you? 
But those same people will turn around and say, the devil told me this, and the devil's been telling me this, and the devil told me that if I do this, and on and on. They just start talking about how they hear the voice of the devil all the time. Can't hear the voice of the Lord, but they really are in tune to the voice of the devil. Well, both of them are spirits. If you can hear the voice of the devil, you sure ought to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. More so, because we have rights and privileges to the voice of the Lord. We're his sheep, and his sheep hear his voice. We ought to be more receptive to the voice of the Lord than we are the voice of the devil. Why hasn't it been that way? Because you spend 23.9 hours a day listening to the voice of the devil and the rest of the time listening to the voice of the Lord. We know we experience the voice of the devil more. We've all been taught and well-educated in the things of the devil. And sad to say, even after we get saved, very few Christians have renewed themselves with the knowledge of God and have renewed themselves to hear the voice of the Lord. There's nothing hard about hearing the voice of the Lord. You get separated to Him, you start fellowshipping with Him, and you'll get to know Him intimately, and you can figure out His voice from the devil's voice every time. Amen. Matter of fact, there's over in John, the 10th chapter, there's promises concerning this. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Did you know that's a promise to you? That ought to be the way that it is, brothers and sisters. We ought to be so in tune that we hear the voice of the Lord easy, and we ought to have a hard time saying, Now, what's the devil trying to tell me? I can't quite get this. Wouldn't that be a reversal, amen? But the reason it hasn't been that way is because we have meditated in the things of the world. Meditation is how you really get to understand and to assimilate the things. Like, for instance, we have been hearing tremendous amounts of the Word of God. Marshall's ministered some really powerful things. But before it's going to profit you to keep the devil from stealing it away, once it's sown, you've got to get these things down deep on the inside of you, and you've got to let them take root and hide them from the devil, amen. Fight the good fight of faith over it. And the way that you do that, the way you get these things digested and down on the inside of you is through sitting here med meditating on the things that God has told you. That's the reason I was saying like this afternoon, it's important to take this time and to take the things that have been told you and meditate in them. By meditation, I'm meaning thinking on it over and over and over from every angle, amen, going into it frontwards and backwards. And this is a problem that I see in my own life. I see it in a lot of people that sometimes people get so hungry for the Word of God that they are just starved to read like the entire New Testament in two days or something. Now, that's good, and you can profit from that. But did you know that most of the time you're better off to take one verse a week if that's all you can handle and meditate on it until that thing becomes a living reality and until you sap the nourishment and the strength that's in it and put it down on the inside of you. Brothers and sisters, it's not the volume of the word that you read. If you would look at it this way, Paul, Peter, John, James, all of the apostles, did you know that they didn't have as much word as you do? Now, Paul had much of it revealed to him, so definitely it was in his heart. But take Peter, or take John, or any of those guys. Did you know that all those guys had was the revelation that was given in the Gospels, and they were not even born-again men? They did not have revelation knowledge at the time that they heard the Lord Jesus say these things, and they simply went on nothing except what they could remember. They didn't have any written scripture. They were not able to be in the Word 10 hours a day. They were not able to read the Word over and over and over like what we do. Now, I'm not by any means discouraging you from being in the Word. There's no way you can meditate on something until you've read it, amen, or until you've come across it. You need to get it and put it on the inside. 
But what they operated in, you know, like say, for instance, in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, where the disciples, where the, the apostles got some disciples, I mean, uh, what were they, deacons, ordained these deacons to wait on the uh, necessities of the church. They said, it is not meet that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What were they talking about? Did you know also they did not have access to the Old Testament scriptures either, except through the synagogue on Sundays. They did not have copies of the Old Testament that they carried under their arm. And yet they said, it is not meet that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The point I'm trying to get across is, brothers and sisters, meditating the word of God is being in the word of God. Y'all get that? It's important to be in the Word of God this way, too, because you've got to do this before you can meditate anything. But it's also important after you've got in there and if you've got some of these things going in you and you're able to think about it, it's important to close this and meditate upon these things and get it established in your heart. That's what the disciples did when they said that they were in the Word of God and doctrine continually. They were meditating upon the things of the Lord. And I feel that this is an area that we have really been deficient in. It's just taking the things that we've heard and thinking on them, meditating on them, pondering these things, going over and over and over until it just completely dominates every thought that you've got. Now, as you do that, you'll find out that the Lord will begin to open up Scriptures to you that before you thought that you've already got all the revelation out of them that there is. And as you meditate on the things of the Lord, you'll find out that it'll give you added revelation. Boy, things will just come alive to you, and all of a sudden you'll see a scripture that you know you thought that you knew and you didn't know it. It'll just become alive to you. That comes through meditation in the Word of God. Let's look over in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Some of these scriptures are probably familiar to you, but they sure are powerful. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 7 says, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. When he's talking about the book of the law, he's talking about the word of God. They, all they had was the five books in the Genesis through Deuteronomy. But to us, this means the entire word of God. This book of the law, or the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. You can turn this verse around and say that if you do meditate in the word of God day and night, you will observe to do all that is written therein. It's impossible. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Again, we've used that in a negative way. If you think negative, you're going to be corrupt carnal, sinful. But let's turn it around. If you think the Word of God, brothers and sisters, as you think in your heart, so are you. If you think the Word of God, if you live and talk and dominate your thought life with the Word of God, you're going to be the Word of God. You're going to be a walking, talking replica of the Word of God. Amen? That's just all there is to it. If you are not observing to do all of His commandments, you are not dominating yourself, meditating in this book of the law day and night. It says, You will observe, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The promise of meditating in the Word of God day and night is that you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. Is everybody in here prosperous? Amen. Is everybody in here always having good success? If there's anybody that wasn't Amen in both of those. 
You've not meditated in the Word of God day and night. You have not dominated yourself with it. Some people come to me and they say, Oh, but brother, I've been in the Word. But if you aren't getting the Word results, you haven't been in the Word. You may have been reading the Word, but did you know that you can read the Word and keep your mind stayed on your problems? You can be meditating your problems. And I've seen people do this. I've seen people go to the Word of God and pull out all of the Scriptures in there about trials and tribulations, woes, misuse them, misapply them, and come out after reading the Word worse off. Because they took it and used the Word to meditate on their problems. Have any of you ever been down in the dumps, discouraged, fearful, and you go to the Word of God to find one of these wailing psalms that just feels exactly the way you do, and all it does is help you meditate on your problems and woes and cares? Now, that's misuse of the Word of God. And, brothers and sisters, that's not what I'm talking about, being in the Word of God. But if you will dominate yourself with the true Word of God, and if you will meditate therein day and night, you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. If you are not in that category, it's because we have not dominated ourselves with the Word of God. Amen? Let's look at it again over in, in uh, Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." Now, there's a lot of people that take the third verse and say, Praise God, that's what I'm believing God for. I'm going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, right where the nourishment is. I don't care how dry anybody else gets, I'm going to be nourished. Amen. My leaves aren't going to fade. There's not any fall or winter in my season. And whatsoever I do is going to prosper. But they forget the first and the second verse. And they are, they are conditions. Brothers and sisters, you can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what that's talking about? Listening to what the world has to say, being moved by what the world says. And there's a tremendous amount of Christians that are in fear of the economy. Why? Because that's the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly's having trouble with the economy, but the Christians aren't. How many of you in here that have been believing God for financial, you're prosperous more today than you have ever been in all of your entire life, all put together, Amen. We just defeated inflation. Amen? Inflation and uh, the economic woes don't have anything to do with the believer. That's the world. And there's no problem in heaven. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, there's no lack or inadequacies among God. Amen? And if you would go to meditating on those things, I promise you, you would have good success. Whatsoever you set your hand unto would prosper. But sad to say, many of us have thought pondered, considered, meditated on the things that the devil is doing among the economy today, and as a result, it's caused a tremendous amount of problem. Amen? If you are not having financial prosperity, I can promise you, I don't care how hard this sounds to you, that you have not meditated, dominated yourself with the things of God. Amen? You've been considering other things. Amen? If you can't say amen, say, oh me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's true. You will prosper in whatsoever you put your hand unto. 
And brothers and sisters, we have read the Word of God, but again, meditation is dominating yourself with what you have read. It's living in it day and night, keeping it before your eyes, thinking and dwelling in these things 24 hours a day. That's meditation in the Word. And until you get to where you can meditate on the Word and meditate on the things of God like this, it just the Word of God will not prosper you like it should. You have to meditate therein day and night in other words, in, to see these things come to pass. Amen? Now, the reason I was bringing all of this out is that many of us have enough knowledge about the Lord that we ought to have a tremendous relationship with the Lord. That's what we eventually, that's what we first started talking about, prayer. And the reason I brought meditation out is because the way that you get this relationship established with the Lord is through meditating the Word of God. Like we know the love of God. The Bible says that we have had that. It's shed abroad in our heart. We know about how the Lord loves us, but sad to say most of us don't take time out to just sit there and dwell and ponder and consider and think on the love of God. If you would just discipline yourself and say, Praise God, today I am going to meditate on how much God loves me. And if you would direct your thinking, and somebody says, How do you do that? Well, Second Corinthians 10, verse 4 says, You've got power to bring every thought into captivity and the obedience of the Lord Jesus. You just sit there and say, Mind, do it. Amen. Most of us haven't exercised much control over our mind. I tell you, the boob tube has been a tremendous detriment in this area. Because you come in and you're tired and you just go turn it on and let somebody else do your thinking for you. That's, the reason, that's one reason that it has such a uh, mesmerizing effect on you. Do you know where that word mesmerize came from? Does anybody? Huh? The man who came up with hypnotism was named Mesmer. And he had such an effect on people when he hypnotized them, they called them mesmerized. Because he had just taken total authority and dominion over them. They became an extension of him. Whatever he told them to do, whatever he willed for them to do, is just pawn in his hand. You become mesmerized. It has to do with hypnotism. And that's exactly what that old boob tube does. People sit there and let it do its thinking. You turn it on and whatever you see on there, you just follow it right along. It's a very powerful medium. And it has lulled to sleep a lot of people. You know, children today, it has, been, it has been proven among educators, all of my family, or all teachers, all except, well, I'm a teacher, but not a school teacher, amen. But everybody in my family has been a professor or a principal, school teacher, or something like that. And it has been proven among educators that, that the television, with the exception of a few uh, programs like Sesame Street or something that is specifically geared to be educational, television corrupts them and gets them to a point where they don't have the ability to, uh, well, I don't know how to term that, but they don't have the initiative to get in. It just destroys their ability to do things on their own. They're just completely dominated. They're always told what to do. And it's been proven that it is detrimental in the education of children, with the exception of just a very few things that are specifically to counter that. And brothers and sisters, our whole society is like that. We've got to where we just let our mind drift and whatever comes, we go along with it. Man, you ought to protect that thing. Praise God, it's important. As a man thinketh, in his heart so easy. You've got to watch what you think. And it's important that we just begin to discipline ourselves and say, I will meditate upon the things of the Lord, and that you take the knowledge of the Word of God that you've been gaining and that you begin to dominate yourself with it, and, and you're going to have to stand there and resist some thoughts. Most of us, if we were to say today that I'm going to spend one hour meditating on the Word of God, 
Did you know most of you would spend one hour trying to do it and probably 15 minutes actually thinking on the Word of God, and your mind just be going every which direction? You all know what I'm talking about? You ever decide that you're going to pray in tongues for an hour and you start off and five minutes after you find out that you're sitting here thinking about a football game somewhere down the road and you're praying in tongues, not even thinking on the Lord while you're doing it, or you're thinking about what you're going to be doing the next day? It's because we haven't disciplined our mind. We've given it that kind of liberty, but you can discipline that mind, brothers and sisters, and bring it into subjections, what the Scripture says. And we can use our mind for a beneficial thing. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. All that spiritually minded produces is life and peace. If you're experiencing anything but life and peace, it's because your mind has not been dominated with spiritual things. No exceptions. Amen or oh me. And brothers and sisters, we need to discipline ourselves. Now, some other things that are involved in meditation, as you start meditating on these things, is your imagination. The scripture we used a while ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, talks about that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And many of us have been taught to believe that imagination is evil. Many of us have been taught to believe that it's foolish and that you don't use your imagination. But that's not true. An imagination is a good thing. It has been corrupted just like anything else because of sin. But an imagination is a good thing. And an imagination is an important part of meditating the Word of God. Like, for instance, you use your imagination every day. Like, if I was going to tell you what are you going to do tomorrow, if I was to ask you that... Did you know you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow? You haven't been there. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You are doing nothing except imagining what's going to happen. You will think in pictures. Like, for instance, if you're staying here, you would see yourself tomorrow probably getting up, going to eat first. You would see yourself sitting in here for a service. You would begin to imagine these things. But you don't have any promise that that's what's going to happen tomorrow. You aren't thinking on facts. You're imagining things. It's not evil. It's productive. It's useful. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had no imagination? Like, say, for instance, to follow directions to this place. Marshall is just nearly void of an imagination when it comes to direction. He's getting better. But when they first got married, Cindy, we had to give Cindy directions every place because Marshall would get lost going across the street. But can you imagine what it would be like if... You weren't able to envision, like say, for instance, if I say that you go down past Monument Hill to exit 163 and you take a right there, you head east, and you go about a mile and a half and you come to a stop sign and you turn left for another half mile. Now, see, if you couldn't imagine what I'm saying, what would east mean to you? You see, if you didn't have an imagination, that would mean nothing to you. Monument Hill. When I say Monument Hill, most of you see it, relate to it and immediately imagine and see things. You use your imagination to relate to things, to be able to picture those things, and if you didn't have an imagination, you'd be lost. Amen? You'd be in trouble. Now, there are vain imaginations, is what the Bible talks about, and that's when you get to thinking on your own and thinking out of line with reality and in context of what we're talking about, and a vain imagination would be something that would be contrary to God's Word. That's an vain imagination, and we need to cast those things down. But as you meditate on the Word of God, brothers and sisters, your imagination is vital to you. You've got to have it, and you've got to use it. As you sit down, and like say, for instance, you start reading about 
John chapter 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus speaking, the works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. Many times people don't get the power that's in that verse because they haven't meditated it. But see, as you meditate that, you get to sitting down and thinking, verily, verily. Boy, that means truly, truly. And, and when the Lord had to verify what he was saying, it's important, praise God. And you get to thinking on that, the works that I do. And it's beneficial if you just sit down and say, praise God, what were the works that Jesus did? And you start picturing him going and laying hands on the sick, yelling to Lazarus, and Lazarus coming out of that grave. You imagine yourself, you see yourself there. And you dominate it all and make it sure that it's in line with the Word of God. You make sure that your imagination is not a vain imagination. You see, this is where Eastern meditation is completely wrong. They try and use meditation to approach unto God, but their whole concept of God is wrong in the first place. They believe that nature is God. They aren't dominating this meditation according to the Word of God, and so they open up into the spiritual realm, sure enough, but into the demonic spiritual realm, you become demon-possessed if you practice yoga and Eastern meditation. That's not godly. As Marshall was ministering this afternoon, you've got to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not enough just to imagine Jesus doing these things. Then you've got to make it real and say, Praise God, because He loves me and because I have received His Spirit, because He gave me the promise that the works that He did shall I do also, then you start putting yourself in the place of Jesus and see yourself standing before the tomb of Lazarus and saying, Lazarus, come forth. One of the big breakdowns, you see, has been that we associate more readily with defeat and our old nature than we do our new nature. Most of us, if, as I said those things, there are many of you that are really uncomfortable imagining yourself standing before Lazarus' tomb and stand, saying, Lazarus, come forth. You can imagine Jesus doing it, but it's hard for you to imagine yourself doing it. And because you haven't meditated on it, because you have not got a vision of yourself doing it, that's the reason you haven't stood in front of any tombs and told somebody to come forth, amen, is because you first of all got to see yourself doing it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You've got to be able to perceive these things and see it. Everybody relate to what I'm talking about? And so we need to take scriptures like that and start meditating it and using our imagination to see that, praise God, I see Jesus doing it and I see myself doing it. You need to get a vision of yourself doing those kind of things. Amen? As you think, which meditation is a thinking process. As you think, you think in pictures, you think in concepts, right? If I was to say to you, think of Camp Ponderosa, most of you that had never been here before, you had trouble relating to that, didn't you? Probably when you thought of Camp Ponderosa, you thought of me because I was the one that told it to you or announced it, and that's all that you could relate to. You'd seen me, and so therefore you related to me probably more than you did this place. Or unless if we explained something to you, if we told you about what the setting was like, you could relate to that somehow or another. But you see, you think in pictures. You imagine. You envision things. And brothers and sisters, most of us, have not been using this same process, you see, concerning the Word of God. We have never sat down and meditated on the things of God and let visions, pictures of things form on the inside of us. And because of it, we can't really relate to it. But in the natural realm, all of us can relate to Satan and to his system. All of you have seen sickness, right? 
All of us have seen people die from sickness. All of us, if you watch any TV at all, the only thing I watch is news. And on the news, terrible commercials come on. Boy, I tell you, it's all I can do sometimes to make myself watch the news because of the stuff that comes on in between the bad news. Amen. Bad news is bad enough. But the commercials are terrible. I mean, you're taught about sickness, about disease. You can relate to that. Real easy. But then when the Word talks about total healing and total prosperity, very few Christians have meditated on the Word of God enough to envision themselves really as a total picture of divine health, that, praise God, I just don't get sick. Most of us haven't taken time to meditate on these things and get it established. But the good news is that you can meditate in the things of the Lord and dominate yourself so much with the thinking of the Lord that it is easier for you to associate with healing Prosperity, the things that God has given you, it's easier to associate with that than it is the things of the world. Amen? That's the truth. That's the truth. I was brought up in a strict environment. I was brought up in a lot of legalistic teaching, which, of course, I had to get deliverance from all my condemnation. But at the same time, it was beneficial in the sense that I've never said a cuss word, never taken a drink, never smoked a cigarette. And did you know that those things, I hated them. I mean, I hated them with the passion. When I was a kid, I remember I had a reoccurring dream that used to come to me, and I'd find myself at the bottom of Pantego Hill in Arlington, Texas, and the police caught me smoking a cigarette, threw me in jail, and I woke up in hell, begging God to forgive me for smoking a cigarette. That's how condemned I was. Some of you may think that's strange. But anyway, what I'm saying is I hated that so much, and I saw myself differently. If I would have smoked a cigarette, I saw myself just like going down the tubes. I mean, it was just the pits. And as a result, did you know it was never a temptation to me to smoke a cigarette? Somebody would have had to have forced one of those things down me. I, there was just no temptation because I couldn't identify with it. There was no temptation to me. There was no temptation for me to cuss, and there was no temptation for me to drink. I was so totally uh, rejecting those things. You see, I had been brought up, and I saw a different picture of myself. I could not associate with that, brothers and sisters. And yet there are many of you that have had problems with those very things. I'm not, you know, saying that I'm any better than anybody else. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever got turned away from heaven? That's not what I'm saying, amen. But I'm saying that there were some areas in my life that weren't temptations to me that were temptations to you because you grew up with a different picture. Like, say, for instance, maybe your parents smoked, drank, and did all the other stuff, amen, and you were able to relate to that. It was an easy temptation, an easy thing for Satan to lure you into. But you see, we can renew ourselves when we get in the Lord, and we can begin to dominate ourselves so much by the Word of God that, brothers and sisters, you see yourself healed, because that's what God's Word says. And if you would meditate in that day and night, you would reach a point to where you see yourself so healed that when your body looks sick and feels sick, you just simply would not be able to receive it. You are so associated with health that you just say, I just can't receive it. I don't know what the problem is, but I know I've been healed. And you just can't see yourself any way but sick. And the Bible promises you that if all you think is spiritually minded, spiritually minded is minded according to the Word of God, then all you can have is life and peace. Sickness is not part of life and peace. You can get rid of sickness, brothers and sisters, by just purging your mind from the fears and associating yourself with sickness and disease. Larry Finkbinder, some of you know him. He's a medical doctor. What is he, a dentist or something? In uh, Colorado Springs. And he gave me a book. And I, he turned over some uh, pages so that I could read it. It's a medical book, and the title of it is Mind is Slayer, Mind is Healer. 
and it's written by psychologists who are operating in the medical realm, and they are, they're putting forth the theories, and they're pretty well accepted today, that sickness is not only physical, they are not denying that it is a physical thing, but that its root is psychological. And they have been attacking cancer with this precept, and they have been having over 50% cure rate on cancer patients by sitting there and having those people meditate. Now, of course, they aren't doing it in the sense that we're talking about. They aren't going through scriptural meditation, believing that by stripes we're healed. But they're saying that strife, turmoil, stress, cancer, leukemia, things like this, are stress-related diseases. And they pretty well accepted that in the medical profession. And so what they do, they get their patients to, first of all, start calming down through just meditating, getting their mind off of the things of the world, thinking about something that's peaceful. And then, after they reach that point and they get their mind disciplined to the point that they can withdraw from the stress, then they have them imagine that cancer, they have them picture it, and they start having them picture that cancer get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then they have them picture little animals in their bloodstream that are coming along gobbling up this cancer. Now, it may sound funny, but they're getting over 50% cure rate, and I guarantee you that's beating the medical profession hands down. And they are seeing tremendous results, and they're using the scriptural principles. They're applying them wrong. But the point that I'm making is scriptural principles work even for an unbeliever. Did you know it? The body, those people, what they're trying to do is get them to relate to health. And they're changing their attitude away from fear. Like when you say cancer to most people, most people fear rises up on the inside. And there's a lot of people who don't even like you to mention the name cancer because of fear. Brothers and sisters, if that's your case, you'd better go to renewing yourself because all the devil's got to do is tap on your door one time with cancer and you're dead. You will embrace it, hook, line, and sinker, and you will destroy yourself through thinking carnally about that. As you think in your heart, so will you be. And you'll destroy yourself. Quote scripture and claim healing all the way to the grave. Amen. God will love you for it, but you'll be destroyed if you don't get your mind renewed. And so they're changing people's image from one of cancer as being a deadly terminal thing to something that can be coped with. They aren't going about it through scriptural method, but it's still producing because those people are no longer giving place to the devil. Did you know even a lost person cannot be dominated by the devil if they refuse it? And that's true. You can take a lost person that doesn't have the power available to them that we do, and they can still receive a certain amount of victory if they are ignorant of the devil's ways. Because their ignorance will keep Satan from moving into their life the way that they should. Because they have not been educated in some of the things. Do you know most, the hardest people to reach are religious people. And that's because they have been educated wrong. And they've been taught that God doesn't do these things. A lost man believes God and do whatever God wants to do. Amen. And you can come to one of those that's in trouble and, and tell them what God will is to heal you and show it to them from the Scripture. They don't have any problems with it. They just open up and receive it. It's easier to minister healing to a lost person than it is a born-again person. It shouldn't be that way, but it's because we have been educated wrong. We've been taught to think that God glorifies himself through sickness. Maybe this is God's will. Maybe God allowed it and sovereignty of God and a thousand and one other doctrines that have stolen the word of God from us. Those things have been producing carnal mindedness within us and been destroying us. Amen. But through meditating the word of God, you see, you can begin to start changing this and envision yourself as being a world overcomer. He will take sickness and disease away from the midst of us, is what it says out of Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
That's a promise, brothers and sisters. You ought to meditate that until you get a vision of yourself being totally, totally, 100% free from sickness and disease. It's His will that we prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. Let them say continually, Let God be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. You ought to meditate that so much until you know that you know that God is pleased with you prospering. You ought to imagine God being pleased with you prospering. You know, the prophecies that came forth tonight about how that the Lord loved us, about how that the Lord had received our worship and praise, if you were paying attention tonight, that should have blessed you. And you know one reason it blessed you? is because most of us don't meditate in that direction. Most of us, when we come before the Lord, we envision ourselves as being, oh, so unworthy in all of this, and somehow God is going to accept it anyway. And we worship God because of how unworthy we are. Most people relate to God because of their unworthiness. And it's just now impossible for a person to think, you know, that God would be really excited over our worship. Maybe he would accept it, but to be excited? See, most people haven't meditated on those kind of things, but it's all in the Word of God. We should have a picture of that man. You ought to see the angels of God praising when you walk in because you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're one of the chosen. You ought to get pictures and visions of those kind of things. I guarantee you it changed some thinking on the inside of you. Amen? You ought to get a vision of yourself as being the bride of Christ. You ought to get a vision of God pursuing you like a man would pursue his wife with that kind of love because that's what the Scripture says. Amen? Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the husband and wife relationship. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We ought to see Jesus as our husband. We ought to envision these kind of things, and I guarantee you to completely take away fear from the midst of you. Depression would be gone. How could you be depressed if you were thinking on how much the King of kings and the Lord of lords loved you? If you're depressed, if you're fighting discouragement, despondency, it's because you have not been considering Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You've been considering something else. You've been meditating on something besides the Lord Jesus. If we meditate in His Word day and night and dominate ourselves with these things, the only thing that can be produced is life and peace. Praise God. Isn't that simple? That's so simple. We've had to have somebody help us to misunderstand it all this time. Praise God. Well, that's simple. But brothers and sisters, it's beneficial. And let me also say this, that this is not going to come to pass... Tonight, you will not get established in it tonight. This is something that once you hear it, you may receive a truth, but you're going to have to act on You're going to have to meditate on what we've meditated tonight. Amen? To make it become a reality, you're going to have to get a vision of yourself. You're going to have to see your whole lifestyle changing. Instead of seeing yourself being completely occupied with physical things, the work and all of this, Start seeing yourself dominated even while you're at work, even when you're taking care of the kids, even when you're washing the dishes, even when you're driving down the road, whatever you're doing, you need to start envisioning yourself fellowshipping and loving with the Lord. And as you do that, the vision that you get, as a man thinketh in his heart, so will he be. You'll begin to become like what you're seeing. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And he's simply saying that what you look at is what you're going to be changed into. If you see Jesus, if you envision Jesus, if you see, meditate upon Him all the time, you'll be changed into His likeness and into His image. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says, The light of the body is the eye. If your eye therefore be single, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. That's simply saying that you can only focus on one thing at a time. If all you focus on is light, brothers and sisters, all you are going to have in you is light. Isn't that good? I don't know if y'all are totally accepting that. Somebody might be thinking, but brother, I just can't believe that any problem I've got in my life, it's because I've allowed it, because maybe I've been thinking out of line with God's Word. But that's the truth. You may not have been meditating on sin. You may not have been meditating on a lot of things, but did you know the Bible says, out of Matthew chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, it says, Every idle word that man speaks shall they give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. It's not only evil words, brothers and sisters, that are destroying us. It's vain, idle words. Idleness. The American civilization is polluted with idleness. The Bible says, as a sign of the last days, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And boy, you can see that today. Don't schedule a service on Sunday afternoon during the Super Bowl or you're in trouble. There's nothing wrong with the Super Bowl, but if you have to miss a church service to go watch the Super Bowl or to watch your favorite thing, if you have to miss somewhere, the Word of God's going forth so that you can feed your love of pleasure. You are a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. And brothers and sisters, it's sapping strength and nourishment from you. It's vain. I'm not saying nothing wrong with football. I watched one quarter of the Super Bowl. That's all I was interested in. I watched a quarter, and I'm not polluted or destroyed for it, but I'm saying that it's vain. That football is never going to heal your body, set you free, or do anything to you. Amen? It just doesn't produce healing on the inside of you. You may not be watching something bad. You may be watching Captain Kangaroo. Amen? You may be watching The Roadrunner. It may be nothing wrong with it. But when it comes time for you to get healed and you turn on what you filled yourself with, is what's going to come out. And if it's meep, meep, you're in trouble, amen. If that's all you got in you, it may not be evil, but it won't heal your body. And that idleness will destroy you. So I want you to see, you may not be in one of these that sits here and meditates on pornography and gets into the occultism and does things like that, but if you're just one of these that your mind just drifts and you think about carnality and you just roll with the punches, you are open territory for the devil to come in and to dominate and to destroy. We have got to dominate ourselves with the Word of God, which is simply meditation in the Word day and night. If you meditate in it day and night, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Your leaf will not wither, and whatsoever you do will prosper. That is an all-inclusive statement, and it's exactly that true. Everything you do will prosper. If you are not prospering in everything you do, you are not dominated by the Word of God. Don't get condemned. Just get dominated by the Word of God. Amen? None of us are there. I'm not there yet, and I'm not condemned because I'm not there. But I'm also not content. Amen? Until we get there. I'm not condemned, but I'm not content. We need to get to where we're pressing towards dominating ourselves with this. Amen? Can you see Jesus as he, you know, said, Lazarus, come forth. Can you see Jesus having thoughts about, I wonder what happens if he doesn't come forth. 
You see, he didn't, but if you'd have done it, what would you have been thinking? Boy, what happens if? That's the reason it worked for Jesus and it hadn't worked for us. Is because Jesus did not have any of those thoughts and reservations on the inside of him. I used to wonder about Abraham. How could Abraham offer Isaac his son as a sacrifice? The Bible says that what I've got is greater than what Abraham has, right? Second Corinthians chapter 3, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. That I've I got so much more power and authority and more of power of God manifested in my life than what Abraham had. And yet Abraham, when God called him to offer up his son Isaac, he obeyed instantly, and he went and he was going to stick that knife in his son. And I honestly, when I read that, I said, Lord, I'm supposed to have more than what Abraham had, but honestly, I don't think I could do that. I was meditating, see, on these things, trying to envision it, and I said, I don't think that I could stick a knife in my son and kill him and offer him as a sacrifice. Y'all think about that. And I was saying, Lord, what's wrong? If I've got more than what he's got, how come I'm not willing to do what he was willing to do? And the Lord started ministering to me. He says, well, if Abraham had had your attitude, he wouldn't have been able to do it either. Because, you see, I, what, what my hindrance was, when I thought about that, I envisioned my son dead. And I could see my son dead. And because of it, there was broken heart. There was fear. That was just contrary, you see, to love. But the Bible shows us in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac his son, accounting that God was able to even raise him up from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham never saw his son dead. Abraham saw his son as the promise. He had been meditating in the Word day and night. Isaac, by this time, from what I've been able to, to decide, was at least 16 years old. For 16 years, he had had a vision of that son as being the promised seed. He had dominated himself with it to such a degree that it, it wasn't any problem to him. Who cared if somebody cut his head off? God said, that's the promised seed. He was so strong in the Word of God that he couldn't see anything except the Word of God. He couldn't relate to anything except the Word of God. He didn't have fear, brothers and sisters, about what happens if. If he had have had those kind of reasonings and thought, he couldn't offer it his son either. But he was so strong that when he took the servants with him, he says, you wait here, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come again. He wasn't planning on leaving that son up there. He didn't know what God was going to do, but he was going to be obedient. But he knew for sure that that son was coming back with him because he had meditated in the Word of God day and night. And brothers and sisters, if you were that strong in the Word of God, if you dominated yourself with the Word of God on one scripture, and did you know that's all Abraham had? So shall thy seed be, is what it says out of Romans chapter 4. That's what uh, Abraham meditated in. Five words is all he had of scripture. Amen. Praise God. This was before the time of Moses. There wasn't any Bible written. Five words, but he dominated himself so totally with it that it enabled him. He never considered one time his son dying. I and the lad will go and worship, and we will come again. And brothers and sisters, he had no fear, and because of it, he didn't have to even go through with the thing. It produced life and peace because he dominated himself with the Word of God. And if you were that strong in the Word, I guarantee you, you could do whatever the Lord told you to do, too, if that's all you had considered. But we've been double-minded. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But 
Let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If you're double-minded, if you're thinking the Word of God, but you're also thinking something else, they'll counter out each other, brothers and sisters. You'll have death. We need to dominate ourselves with the Word of God. You can't dominate yourself by just rejecting thoughts of the devil. It's not enough to just say, Satan, you leave me alone. I am healed. I will not think I'm sick. It's not enough to know how to cast down the thoughts. Once they're cast down, then start filling yourself with the Word of God that produces healing. And as you meditate in it, it'll be health to all of your flesh, and it'll so dominate you that you don't have time to listen to the devil. Amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.